And then we come to the end of these uh, three books, right? First John, Second John, and Third John. First John has five chapters. Second John and Third John are short one-chapter postcards, if you would. Uh, Second John is 13 verses. Third John, depending on which Bible version you have, it's either 14 or 15 verses. Some of them, they just get verse 15 and just smash it into verse 14. So they're short, small little postcards. At the end of Second John and at the end of Third John, you see John's heart. He says, hey, I'm, I'm just telling you this, writing this down, but I'm hoping to see you one day shortly, and then I'll tell you the rest of the things that I'm thinking. So again, that's John's heart. These are short little postcards. I don't know when was the last time you wrote a postcard or received a postcard, right? Uh, but that's what it is, short little one-page, one-paragraph idea here. Uh, a great way of listening to one Bible study, breaking down First John, Second John, and Third John is like this. First John is about walking in the light, all about walking in the light, all about walking in the light of who God is, of who Jesus is, of who we once were, and then what Jesus has done for us. Second John, we are to stand in the truth. Again, our definition of love is based on truth and not the other way around. We should stand in the truth. And finally, third John is that we ought to labor in the love. We should be working. As we're walking in the light, as we're standing in the truth, we should be working in the love that God has given us. In 2 John, John is warning uh, this woman, right, this church to not show hospitality to false teachers, false doctrines, false prophets. In 3 John, it's almost the other end of the pendulum where John is going to be telling them, hey, you should be showing hospitality to missionaries and to other believers. So that's what we're going to be seeing throughout this chapter. We're going to see three different men. There's Gaius, there's Demetrius, and there's, I keep mispronouncing his name, right, right there in the middle, Diotrephes. And we're going to see these three men, their example, who we should be like, who we shouldn't be like, and uh, hopefully we leave here just looking more like Jesus. So verses 1 through 5, verses 1 through 4, it says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John once again here refers to himself as the elder. The elder both of the church. He's the oldest living apostle by a long shot. He's the only living apostle of those 12 disciples at this point, right? And he's also the elder of the church, sort of the, the dad in charge of the church at the time. And now he refers to this man as the beloved Gaius whom he loves in the truth. We're going to see later on that more than likely Gaius was one of John's own converts. It's a man that he ministered to, that received the Lord, and was growing in the Lord. And we see here that his love is in the truth, following the theme and the idea of 2 John. I also love how, quickly John, how quick John is to tell Gaius that he loves him. Right? Sometimes we're often to be sarcastic with other people, often to cut other people down. But how for some of us, it's like we, go, we start convulsing if we have to tell someone that, hey, I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for you. It shouldn't have to be like that. He calls him his beloved, right? Beloved Gaius. And it's the same word that God uses for Jesus at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, 17. It says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now we don't know if this is the same Gaius mentioned in the book of Acts or in the book of 1 Corinthians or in the book of Romans. Gaius was a very common name in the Roman Empire. I think for us it would be like my beloved Jose, right? Or beloved George. How many Georges and Jose's do we have here? Right? There's a handful. Some of them are too shy to put up their hands, right? But there's a good amount, right? You just yell out George and you'll have like four guys turn around and ask, right? yeah, talking to me. So Gaius is just a common name throughout the Roman Empire. And now we see John's prayer for Gaius. Verse 2. Beloved. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And now this was a common greeting during this time period. 
Archaeologists have found this greeting written down in Latin in various places. And this is John's personal prayer for Gaius. It's not a prayer from God as a promise for every single believer. Now, there's no doubt that God wants each of us to prosper. There's no doubt that the Lord would desire that we would be healthy and we do our best with our bodies. But the Word of Faith movement likes to take this verse completely out of its context. They like to take this verse and say, this is God's plan and purpose for every single person. And that's just simply not the case. There are many of us that we're not going to be necessarily prospering. We're not going to necessarily always have good health. And just a little bit of common sense here. When you pray for someone's health, are they genuinely healthy? Right? When you pray for someone, oh man, I, I hope you feel better. Are they feeling great already, right? I just hope you feel even a little bit better after that, right? Even my own kids get it. We've been praying for a long season for Pastor Tony. He got diagnosed with cancer throughout his body. So we were praying for him time and time and time again. Then he got healed by a miracle only of the Lord. We told the kids he got healed. They were all excited. The other night, Luki starts praying for Pastor Tony and all his big ouchies again. And then Levi and Ella look at him. We don't have to pray for Pastor Tony anymore. He's healthy. He's healed. What are you talking about, right? He's good. So again, even here, John praying for Gaius, it's more than likely because he's sick. We have to be reminded of these things, some of these difficult truths in Scripture. Jesus has promised to us, John 16, these things I've spoken to you, that in me, in Christ, we may have peace. In this world, we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Some false doctrines, they point to our spiritual state or to our state of faith being directly connected to our health, and, and that's simply a lie. There are many holy men, many blameless men who were sick in Scripture. Blameless Job, Job chapter 2, verse 7. It tells us, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Again, his sickness had nothing to do with his lack of faith. God's word says that Job was blameless. Elisha the prophet did twice as many miracles as Elijah. And in 2 Kings 13, verse 14, I've never heard this as anyone's life verse, right? It says, Elisha had become sick with the illness in which he would die. Right? What a verse, right? You could write that down in someone's card. 2 Kings 13, 14, right? But again, every single one of us, and unless usually you're a guy here or you're doing things you shouldn't do, right? What's the worst that could happen or... What does this button do? But for most of us, right, one day you will have a sickness that will lead to death. 100 out of 100 people, they die. Every single one of us is going to die. So if the, the word of faith movement was true, we would have Christians that have been around for the last 2,000 years. Because their faith has been so great that they've never died. Because God continues to heal them from their sicknesses. And that's simply a lie. That's not truth. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And here we see Paul dealing with sickness. We see Paul not only dealing with sickness, but then praying and asking the Lord to help him with this specific sickness. And we're going to see how the Lord answers him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. It says, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, Paul, you got to have more faith. Paul, you got to name it. Paul, you got to claim it. Paul, in the tongue, you have the power of life and death. No, what does God tell him? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. In reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, God here answering Paul's prayer three times to remove this sickness, to remove this thorn in his side. God's answer was, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And family, at the end of the day, the times when we have a hunger and a desire for heaven, it's not when life is going perfect. When we have a desire and hunger for heaven, it's when we're going through difficulties, right? 
Many people have gotten married throughout this last season here in the church. And I don't know how many people on their honeymoon, right? You're at Sandals, you're at the beach, you have your pina colada, right? There and you're sitting on the beach and you're saying, Ah, Lord, I can't wait for heaven, right? Because you're tasting of it here on earth. But when you go through difficulty, when you go through sickness, when someone you love is going through the ringer, that's when, in a sense, it's salt in our thirst for heaven. And we're saying, Lord, this world is not my home. This world is not my home. So oftentimes in the life of the believer, true faith is not faith that leads to God magically healing us. True faith is going through difficulties and saying, God, you've done enough for me that I'm not going to just give up on you. Lord, you've given me so much that, Lord, you've given me you, you've given me yourself. Lord, who cares if I'm a little bit sick? Lord, who cares if I have to go through this? That's where true faith lies. Finally, at the end of verse 2, an idea here that John sort of gives us is that he prays for his health, that it, would, that it would do well just as his soul prospers. Family, what physical state would you be in if your physical state would be directly connected to your spiritual state? What kind of health would you have right now? Would you just be dead and decrepit, right? Someone would have had to drag you here into church because you're not feeding on God's word. You don't have the joy of, the, of God in your heart. You don't have the love of God in your heart. Some of us, we'd sort of be transformed, right? You'd be like Cinderella all of a sudden, right? And now your outward man has been perishing, but the inward man has been being renewed each and every day. So now just the health in each and every one of us. Again, our physical health is very important, but our spiritual health is more important. When was the last time we've grown, we've taken care of our spiritual health? It's more important than the physical, but both are very important. Verse 3 and 4, John says, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You see here, John is hearing all the way in Ephesus from the different believers and Christians that have stayed with Gaius about the truth that's in Gaius' heart and how he's walking in the truth. John's hearing from afar of the work that God is doing in Gaius' heart. And it's been said that you can't pick your own nickname. right? It usually doesn't work that way. You don't go up to a group of friends and, hey, start calling me the big guy, right? That's what all of you should start calling. It doesn't work that way, right? Usually it's given to you. Why? Because of the, your actions, the way you look, something you said, something you didn't say, right? They see you through your actions. And the same is true of our testimony. You can't tell people how you want them to see you. You can't tell people how you want them to perceive you. They will see you through your actions, through your decisions, through your mouth. And here the truth of Gaius' actions travels all the way to John, just as the truth of our actions will travel, whether they're good actions or whether they're bad actions. Our testimony will be shown and will be made known. Luke chapter 8, verse 17, we talked about this on God's Way Radio this week. It says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Luke 12, verse 2, it tells us, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've spoken in the ear of inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Again, family, whether you're doing good or whether you're doing evil, Whatever is done in secret will be revealed. If it's good, bad, or ugly, it's going to be revealed. It's going to be brought to the surface. So now if we're doing good things in secret, that should bring us joy and comfort. If we're doing evil things in secret, again, the fear of God should be piercing your heart. And now you should have more respect and more reverence towards the Lord and the things of the Lord. We shouldn't have to, and we'll see this theme throughout this chapter. You don't have to become obsessed with your reputation. Focus on your character, focus on your walk with the Lord, and God will take care of your reputation. Here in verse 4, we see that there's no greater joy for John than to hear of Gaius walking in the truth. And truly, there's no greater joy for a pastor to see someone in the flock get it. 
Someone in the flock truly understand, man, look at what Christ has done for me. And now they put their old ways to death. And now they begin to live in a new season completely for the Lord. David Guzik says, to walk in truth means to walk consistent with the truth you believe. If you believe you're fallen, then you walk weary of your fallenness. If you believe that you're a child of God, then you walk like a child of heaven. If you believe that you're forgiven, then you walk like a forgiven person. To walk in truth means to walk in a way that is real and genuine, without any phoniness or concealment. Again, family, may we be walking in a way that is real and genuine. I know there's a lot of people that love going to Disney World, but it's always a little bit creepy to me how the workers act there, right? Because they don't always seem genuine. Seems a little bit phony, a little bit angry with what they're having to deal with, right? But there's a concealment of what's going on there. We as believers, we should have no phoniness. We should have no concealment. We should be walking in the truth of God's word. Simply put, don't be a hypocrite. Simply put, live according to the truth of the Bible. You either believe it or you don't believe it. If you believe God's word, then walk in those truths. If you believe God's word, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy, then you're going to walk in holiness. If you believe God's word, the one who does not love does not know God, then you're going to love one another. If you believe God's word, you shall forgive just as the Lord forgave you, then you will be one that forgives other people, so on and so forth. Again, John here had no greater joy than to hear that his children were walking in truth. Parents, when we see our sons and daughters showing their maturity, making good choices and good decisions, is there not a flood of joy that comes into our heart as a parent? When they make the right decision, especially when it's difficult, especially when it has some difficult choices attributed to it, is there not joy that comes to our heart? Recently, we were at a graduation for the fire academy, and after almost every single person, right, he's like, SME, hijo, right? You hear the Cubans, the Hispanics screaming and all excited. And you hear that, right, at baseball games when a kid hits a home run, at a graduation, right? You don't hear that when the kid strikes out. SME, hijo, right? You don't hear that. You don't hear that when the kid's running the wrong way or when they're picking flowers or playing with butterflies in the alpha. You don't hear that, right? Again, you hear that at a graduation. You hear that after a long road of hard work and maturity, and it's coming to fruition. Again, I've never heard a parent, right, their kid, hey, your son's on academic probation. SME, all right. That's my son. Your son, they're, they're getting kicked out of school. That's my, you don't hear that. So again, family, may we be focused on our sons and daughters' walk with Christ. Be focused on that. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important, and then for each and every one of us, that we would be growing in maturity. Growing in maturity. Again, we can bring joy to the heart of one another. We can bring joy to the heart of God. Right? That famous verse, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Again, it's not that we start acting super giggly and weird, and now all of a sudden we're going to be strong. That's like what some Christians think. No, what that means is that when we're strong in the things of God, we bring joy to our Father in heaven. That's what that verse is signifying. So may each of us be growing in maturity, even if there's difficult choices ahead. Verse 5 here, we see practically what Gaius has been doing that's been bringing so much joy to the heart of John. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. You see, Gaius is being faithful in whatever work he finds himself doing. And it's not just for the work of people he loves or for his friends, but it's even work for the new believer. It's work for the stranger. It's work for the missionary that he just met. He's being hospitable to other believers. And in our culture that's so filled with self-centeredness, and our culture and social media that promotes so much of self and narcissism and pictures and look what I'm doing, look what I'm eating, look what I'm thinking— most of us have lost the gift and the art of being hospitable. We need to grow this. We need to mature this in our lives because we are called to do so throughout the New Testament. Just write down some of these scriptures. Romans chapter 12 verse 13. It tells us distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. 
Titus chapter 1, verse 8, speaking of the qualifications of an elder, a deacon, a pastor, is that they should be a lover of hospitality. Not a lover of receiving hospitality. Everyone's a lover of receiving hospitality, right? But a lover of giving, of being hospitable towards one another. Hebrews 13 verse 2 gives us a pretty big idea here. It tells us, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Again, do you remember when was the first time you were coming to the church and someone invited you to go out to lunch or to go have coffee or to come over to their home and, and eat together? May we be doing that for others, new people at the church. New families at the church that were willing to take a chance and be hospitable. Take a chance and not just be focused on what are people going to do for me, but focused on what can I do for the other people at the church. Finally, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, a verse to remind us for Thanksgiving morning, right? 1 Peter 4, 9, use hospitality one to another without grumbling, right? Without grumbling. We're called to be hospitable towards one another without any grumbling that word hospitable it's to be generous it's to be friendly in entertaining guests it's to be pleasant it's to offer a pleasant and healthful environment to guests again this is something every believer should be able to do should be able to possess because as we're filled with the lord we should have love and a desire to be generous and friendly and pleasant and helpful and helpful right to our friends and family members and new believers in the church it's a mark of our love it's a requirement for church leadership we should do it without complaining and in doing so, we might even have the privilege of entertaining angels. Let's turn to John chapter 13, and we see that our Lord, our Savior, our Commander, again, I love Jesus so much. He always teaches by example. He always leads by example. John 13. And it's one thing for us to be hospitable in, in days and seasons when we should be, right? You have everyone over your home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. People are looking to you to be hospitable. But imagine it's your wedding night, right? Should the bride be out there serving the dishes? She shouldn't be, right? But a true mark of humility is to be willing to do so, even if it's your perceived day. And here in John 13, this was Jesus's, one of the biggest nights of his life. One of the biggest nights of his life, and we're going to see the heart, the humility, and the hospitality that Jesus shows, not to great guests, but to 12 knuckleheads, right? John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Again, the humility of our Lord and Savior. This was his big night. The night he would be betrayed. The night he would be sweating blood in Gethsemane. The night that the disciples would be falling asleep even though he asked them, hey, please pray for me. This is a difficult night. Please pray for me. The night when Judas would kiss him, right? The night when he'd be turned over to the authorities. The night that would begin this process of being beaten and bruised and mocked and being put to death. And what does Jesus do this very night? He displays humility and hospitality to these 12 men. One who would betray him. The others that would run and flee from him. The others that would fall asleep when he asked for prayer. Again, how often do we think we're the ones deserving of being served when what Christ tells us is that we should be looking out to serve others. This is the true mark of a Christian. This is directly connected with Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Family, when you come into a room, do you look for everyone to acknowledge you? Are you thinking only about yourself? Or when you enter a room, are you thinking about the interests of others more than yourself? We come back to 3 John and we continue. He says, if you send them forward on their journey in a worthy in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. You see, there were different missionaries and servants of God coming in contact with Gaius. We talked about this in chapter 2, that there was no hotels in this day and age. The only hotels in this day and age were usually brothels and sketchy places, right? Sort of like those strange motels on Calle Ocho, right? You don't want to stay in any of those. They're renting by the hour. You don't want to stay in any of those, right? And so as a believer, as a pastor, you wouldn't have to stay in a sketchy place. So there'd be much joy and a lot of peace being able to stay in the in a home of a brother or sister. And now as Gaius was being hospitable to these people, he wasn't just doing it for them. He was doing it in a manner worthy of God. Are we truly being faithful to what God has entrusted to us. What we're doing in our work, are we doing it for others to see us and recognize us? Or do we realize that God sees everything we do? Right? I think we all know Matthew 25, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Again, we are called to be faithful. That's the only thing that the Lord asks us of. When we're working, can we truly say that this is being done worthy of the Lord? When you're having people over, when you're serving in parking lot, when you're serving with babies, right? When you're changing that diaper, you say, man, this would be done in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Whatever task you find yourself doing, the tasks you love to do, the tasks you hate to do, there's nothing I love hearing this over and over again. There is nothing in the true believer that should be separated between what's spiritual and what's uh, secular. Everything we do should be spiritual. There's no line of delineation. Okay, God, 95% of my life is going to be spiritual, but God, let me have this 5%. Lord, ah, this is separate. This isn't as, as important. No, everything we find ourselves doing, it's done for the glory of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. And again, the reminder, all that we do, it's for the Lord. It should be seen, it should be done for the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It tells us, and whatever you do, do it heartedly as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there's no partiality. Again, all that we do, it should be out of a heart to do my all, to do my best for the Lord. Whether you're at work, whether you're doing something for your spouse, something for your parents, something for your kids, all that we do, it should be done in a way that is worthy of the Lord. Again, ask yourself, is this deserving of God? Would God look down at my work and say, great job, Zach. You're doing awesome. You're doing great. Back to 3 John in verse 7 and 8. He says, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Family, a true work of God, a true ministry of God does not look for money from unbelievers or even from new believers. And when we see a work of God abiding by this truth, we should want to support those works more and more. Knowing that we get to be a part of, we get to be a fellow worker of that ministry. Whether we're helping physically or whether we're helping from afar. We should be a part of God's work whether we're on the ground or whether we are support. We should be a part of it. 
In Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 and 41 and 42, verse 42, it puts it simply, says, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say, he shall by no means lose his reward. When we help out other ministries and what they're doing, even if we're not on the front lines, right? Operation Christmas Child, you don't have to go out there to the middle of right, Zimbabwe or wherever they're at, right? Where they go all over the world. You don't have to be on the plane in the middle of nowhere on the little motorbike, right? Taking the boxes to be a part of that reward or that work of the Lord. The different missionary trips we have throughout the year. You don't have to be on the boat and then on the two-hour hike and then there in the jungle to be a part of the work of the Lord. You can support by prayer. You can support by ministering to and encouraging the missionaries that are going. You can support by encouraging and ministering to the families of those missionaries that left. And we can also support financially, helping other people that desire to serve the Lord, being on the front lines, who perhaps can't afford it. This is a biblical truth that we should be looking to say, Lord, how can I further your work? Lord, how can I further the gospel? And this truth is found all the way with David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, in verse 10, it says that there were 200 men who stayed behind because they were so weary they could not cross the brook. So they stay behind these 200 men. They protect the stuff. They protect the things. The other men, they go out to war. They win. They destroy. And now when they come back, they tell David, we're not going to give any of those guys a cut of what we did. They, they were too lazy. They stayed behind. We're the ones that did all the work. And David says, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who has preserved us and delivered us into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this manner? But as his part is who goes down to battle, so shall his part who stays by the supplies. I like the King James Version. It says those who stay with the stuff, they're going to share alike. And again, the people in kids ministry taking care of the kids so that I could be here so other people could be serving. They have the same mark of honor in heaven. And those of us who pray for missionaries, those of us who support missionaries, you're a participant. You're a co-worker in the work of the Lord. A great test to see how hungry we are for the work of God is to take a look at your checking account. Take a look at your spending habits, right? When was the last time you donated to a work of the Lord financially, right? Take a look at your Amazon orders list. And then take a look at, Lord, when was the last time I donated to the work of the Lord? That's a great tech, right? Right to the heart to see if you're being heavenly minded, wanting to see other people come to the Lord, or if our minds are just being a little bit too carnal, focusing on what we do. I have a long order history on Amazon, right? Nobody's perfect, right? But again, are we donating? Are we wanting to be a part of the work of the Lord? Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's a requirement, that's a commandment for every single one of us here. We need to be a part of the work of the Lord. So we've seen all the good news of Gaius, right? Now we're going to see some of the bad news of Diotrephes. Verse 9 through 11, it says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Here we see the apostle of love, right? We've called him that throughout the last two books. The apostle of love, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here he's flat out calling Diotrephes out by name. By name. And this is something that's biblical. There comes a certain point where we need to mark those who are causing divisions and hindrances and dissensions within churches. Romans 16 verse 17. It's just one of the many verses on this. It says, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions, those who cause hindrances, occasions to stumble contrary to the teaching which you've learned and turn away from them. So now John is literally writing out, be careful with Diotrephes. 
And not only does he say be careful with them, but then as a true spiritual leader, he says, you don't have to deal with him. Just be careful with him. But when I get there, I'm going to address him, right? That's what a, a real dad does. I remember I got it from my mom, and I got it from my dad when he got home, right? Wait till your dad gets home. That's basically what John is saying here. Wait till I get there. I'm going to deal with Diotrephes myself. In verse 9, we don't know if Diotrephes either literally threw away John's first letter. We don't know if there was another third John, and now we're reading fourth John. Perhaps Diotrephes got the first letter, saw what it said about it, and he threw it away, right, that he did not receive us. Or perhaps what John is saying is, hey, I wanted to write a letter to the whole church, but I knew Diotrephes would take it, manipulate it, get rid of it. So, guys, I'm writing to you specifically, right? I don't know if I'm the only kid that would throw away their progress support so their parents wouldn't see it, but that is what Diotrephes is doing here, right? And what was Diotrephes' problem? He loved to have preeminence among them. He loved to have preeminence among them. This word preeminence, it's having supreme rank, having supreme importance. And in many churches, there are diatrophies walking around, trying to infect it, in roles of leadership even, like this man here. Listening to John Randall, it's so true. It sounds like a bad sickness, right? Like, I'm sorry, man, you got a bad case of diatrophies. We're going to we're gonna have to work on this. We're going to have to deal with this. But after, after some love, after some word, after some spanking, you'll get through this, right? And this is what we have to be careful with. Because there are diatrophies walking around the church. But each and every one of us has a little bit of diatrophies within our heart and within our pride. That we want to be supreme. We want to be of the utmost importance in whatever area of ministry that we're in. Diotrephes was in some form of leadership, so now John needed to deal with him and warned others about following, with, following him. Diotrephes loved to be supreme rank. Better translated is that he wanted to lord over people. Not only did he want to be first, but he wanted to tell other people that he was first. He wanted to tell people he was the most important. He wanted to tell other people that he was the one that was closest to the Lord. And now he would not accept anyone else's authority over himself. Family, you're in a very dangerous place in your walk with the Lord if you do not accept anyone's authority in your life. You're looking like the enemy there. See, that's the difference here. We read Philippians 2 verse 5. God, right? Jesus, being in the form of God, was fine and okay being brought down to a servant. Satan, he was a servant. He was just an angel. And he says in Isaiah 14, 14, I'm going to one day be like God. And we have to be careful here. There are some of us that we think we really are just that incredible. We're that amazing, right? God has put me here to be on the platform, to reach all types of people. Got to be careful with that heart. What we should have is the heart of Christ. We're willing to serve anyone and everyone. We go to Matthew chapter 20. And in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus here reveals to us the heart and mindset we should have in church leadership. And not church leadership only, but in all types of leadership. If you're here and you're in a position of leadership at your job, maybe you're here and you're a coach, you're a leader, you have people under you, this is the way that you should be leading the people under you. Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, right? What's the context? Two of the disciples have their mom come and talk to Jesus and say, hey, can my two sons be in leadership over the whole world? That's basically what she says, right? The other disciples, they hear of it. They get mad. They get bothered. Now we're here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, this is what we should be looking for in church leadership. Hopefully every single one of the pastors, the elders here, we're all fine cleaning the bathroom, serving in the cafe, being in the parking lot. To be honest with you guys, I like being there more than I like being up here. I like being, the other day at LHM, we had a, 
a field trip, and we had to feed like 60, 70 people pizza within 15 minutes. So it was fun. I got back there in the kitchen. We're serving the pizza. I like to be there. It's easy. It's simple. Put the pizza in. Take the pizza out. Put the pizza on the plate. I like that. It's simple. It's easy, right? But that's the mindset we should have. There are certain things that Diotrephes don't like in church and that they do like in church. They like hearing their name. They like being at the forefront. They like being the most important person. They like the solo. They like the spotlight. They like, right, their bench named after them in the church. We have to be careful with that. There are certain things that act as a kryptonite. They're repulsive to diatrophies, right? What are some of these things? A toilet brush. Right? Someone says, hey, I, I want to come. I want to serve in the church. That's great. That's awesome. We have such a huge need. What's the big need? The bathrooms. They got to get cleaned every Sunday like three times. It's crazy how much use they get, right? And there's some people say, that's below me. These hands are only made for flipping the word of God. What are you talking about, right? <laughs> These hands are only made for putting nasty licks on the guitar for people to come into worship. What are you talking about? We have to be careful with this. Some of us think that there's certain areas in the church of serving that's below us, right? Man, I, I want to serve in worship. Oh, that's great. Kiddos ministry needs worship. Uh, I'm not called to that, right? We got to be careful. It creeps up into our heart. And then we see he wanted the preeminence. He didn't want to be under anyone's authority. Again, he's bucking at the Apostle John's authority. A man who walked with Jesus. A man who shared life with Jesus. A man who at this point has been walking with Jesus 40, 50, 60 years. And Diotrephes is saying, who's John the Apostle? I'm the man in charge here. Verse 10, he says, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. He's going to deal with it himself. What are his deeds? Pratting against us with malicious words. What do diatrophies do when they're not at the forefront? They gossip. They slander. They talk bad about the people that God has used or is using in your life. And we have to be careful. A, we're not gossiping. But B, that we're a part of the gossip. Right? I forget exactly what scripture, but in Proverbs, it's like basically how does gossip start? How does gossip stop? By taking the logs out of the fire. Stop throwing logs into the fire. Stop being that listening ear to someone's gossip and just say, this is dumb. Let, let's go talk with this person right here, right now. Let's be biblical about this. You have a problem with someone? Go talk with them one-on-one. -on -one. Don't tell everybody else in the world. What does God's word say about leadership and rumors? It has to be two or three people saying the same thing. Not just one person having a bad day, taking things out of context, making up things. We have to be careful with this. Literally in the Greek, pratting against us with malicious words, it's bubbling up. It's overflowing. If you've ever seen a spa, right, you see all the bubbles popping up, but it's a bunch of bubbles, but it's a bunch of nothing. It's emptiness. They blow their fuse, they bubble up, they boil over, they explode, and then nothing gets accomplished. Nothing happens. But that's what Diotrephes is doing. He doesn't want authority in his life. And now when God puts authority in his life, he bubbles up. He bubbles over and he gossips and slanders the people that God is using. He doesn't just stop there, but then it says, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren. Diotrephes is not in the business of being a servant to anyone. He wasn't willing to be hospitable to anyone. He wasn't willing to put others before himself. He wasn't willing to serve others. He wasn't willing to look out for the interests of others more than himself. Again, family, when we come to church, what's our mindset? Who needs prayer? Who can I bless? Who can I buy breakfast for? Who can I pray with? Or are we just self-absorbed? What can they do for me? No one said hi to me. No one looked at me. What's our mindset? Not only does he not receive other brothers, but then he forbids those who wish to do so. So now it's not only that he doesn't want to be hospitable, but now he's telling the people that are under him, hey, don't talk with that person. Don't be hospitable with that person. I think we've all been there, right? We have a friend that has a disagreement with another friend, but we're cool with that other friend. But then what does that friend in the middle say? You can't be friends with them anymore. They haven't done anything to me. What are you talking about, right? No, no, you're not allowed to be friends with them anymore because they did this to me. That's what Diotrephes is doing. And now he's not only that, but then he's getting to the point where he's putting them out of the church, he forbids other people to be hospitable. And then if they are hospitable, he then excommunicates anyone that would want to show hospitality. Can okay, we have to be careful with this. 
We have to be careful. It's not in our own heart. Each of us, we can have a case of diatrophies, whether it's our way or the highway. If I'm not at the forefront, I don't want to be a part of it. I was reading, again, even the, the Devo this morning, the Tozer this morning. We have to stop thinking that in church, in ministry, in several churches, that we're competing against one another. We're not competing. We are co-laborers. We're co-workers. It's not me trying to compete against you and I'm trying to get the better job in heaven's view. No. We're working together as we're working together with Christ. So we have to be careful. May we be that Gaius. May we have the heart of humility, that desire to minister to others, that walking in the truth. And may we not be like Diotrephes. All right, that's what he's saying here in verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. All right, this kind of goes without saying, but John, he says it. He reminds us, us, uh, reminds us of it. Don't do the evil things. Don't imitate evil. There's people doing evil in church. There's people gossiping in church. Man, don't imitate that. Instead, imitate what's good. Oftentimes, the Lord, he puts people in our life so that we would get that character out of our own heart. As God is preparing David to be the second king of Israel, probably the greatest king of Israel ever, he's with Saul in Saul's worst and lowest points. So the Lord would open David's eyes and David would say, I never want to be a leader like this. I don't want to act like Saul. I don't want to be like Saul. Saul was a, di- a diatrophies. Everything was about Saul. Everything was about how people saw Saul, right? We joked about that all the time in young adults. Saw, saw, right? They, he was just consumed with how people saw him, but he didn't care about what was going on in his heart. He didn't care about his personal relationship with the Lord. All he cared about is that other people thought that he was holy or that he was spiritual. We should not want to be like that. Instead, we should strive to be like the Gaiuses, right? Spiritually maturing in the Lord, walking in the truth, being faithful to God's commands. Being hospitable to both our friends and to strangers. Having a love for the church and living worthy of the Lord. Don't be a diatrophies. Prideful. Wanting power. Gossiping. Slandering. Not teachable. Not hospitable. Divisive and manipulative. We have to be careful that this isn't rising in our heart. And we have to be careful that we're not feeding This type of character in someone else's heart, if we truly love them. Verse 20, it tells us Demetrius, verse 12, not 20, thank you. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. Some scholars debate what's going on here, but we get this great verse 12 about Demetrius. Hey, man, his testimony is good from everyone and from the truth itself. Again, God's word will reveal whether our testimony is good, bad, or ugly. We don't have to be consumed with what do people think of my testimony, right? Some of us, there's people out there and they're talking, they're doing this or that. Don't get consumed with that. You just focus on your character. You focus on your work with the Lord and let the Lord be your defender, Because he's saying, hey, Demetrius' testimony, it's good not only from what people are saying, but from the truth itself. The word of God, the Holy Spirit bears witness of Demetrius' good testimony. Some scholars believe one of two things, that John is writing this letter to Demetrius. Demetrius gives this letter to Gaius, and now John is trying to tell Gaius, hey, Demetrius is a great brother. You're not the only one. You see, for some of us, we're in a bad relationship with a diatrophies, right? We're in this rough relationship, and we think, I just can't get out of it. I'm stuck with them. I'm going to have no friends if I cut off this relationship. That's not the case. There are Demetriuses, right, throughout the church, throughout our walk. And oftentimes, we're holding on to these friendships that are slowing us down in our walk. They're not allowing us to mature. They're not allowing us to grow because we have... We're not willing to make the stands. We're not willing to do the hard thing. And what God's word tells us is, hey, make the hard choice and God's going to bless you for it. Make the hard stand and God's going to bless you for it. So perhaps John is trying to encourage guys, hey, 
Forget about Diotrephes and all his drama, all of his gossip, all of his slandering. And Demetrius, he's a good brother. He's going to encourage you. You can run. You can do life with him. Verse 13 and 14, I had many things to write, but I don't wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Two last things here, pretty simple. Man, if you have a difficult conversation that you have to have with someone, don't use technology, right? What was technology here for John? It was pen and paper, right? Pen and ink, pen and papyrus, right? That's basically what his technology was. If you have a difficult conversation to have someone, don't put it as your, what are you thinking about on Facebook, right? Don't put it on your social media, your Instagram, your TikTok, whatever else you got, right? I forget all the new ones that appeared in 2020 and 2021, right? But don't be putting it on there. Don't text them about it. Don't DM them about it. Have that conversation face-to-face. Technology, it's a great tool, but conversation and true emotion and what we're trying to get across, it's not the best place for that, right? You're trying to have a serious conversation with someone and you put the wrong emoji. It's like, oh my goodness, what happened, right? No, no, this is really a smiley face, not an angry face. This is what I meant, right? It wasn't the throw-up face. It was the happy face, right? We got to be careful. It's important to have these types of conversations face to face, have them face to face. Finally, last two verses, right? It says, peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. We should have a peace in our hearts and lives no matter what's going on. Even if we're in a season when someone's slandering us, even if we're in a season where someone's doing ill towards us, we should have the peace of God ruling in our hearts. And that's what John is telling guys here. He's like, man, I know all this stuff is going on. But man, the peace of God should still be ruling and reigning in your heart. Finally, our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Again, you're not the only one out there. The group of friends you currently have, man, hopefully they're leading you to the Lord. They're growing you in the Lord. Your family, they're maturing you. They're growing you. You're having great conversation, biblical conversation. You're sharpening one another. Hopefully that's what's happening. But if not, man, there are other brothers and sisters in the Lord that God wants you to have, that God wants you to have friendship with, that God wants you to have relationship with, but perhaps you're holding on to old friendships with unbelievers. Perhaps you're holding friendships, right? God's word says to not be unequally yoked. That's not only with unbelievers, but that could be being unequally yoked with a super immature carnal believer. And you're trying to grow, you're trying to walk with the Lord, but you're yoked up to them. You're hitched up to them, and you're wanting to grow and mature, and they're just wanting to go back to the mud and be carnal. It's not going to grow there. You should not be unequally yoked. So when we make those hard choices, the Lord always rushes in that family and that, friend, that group of friends around you. That's been my testimony. I had to cut off all my old friendships, say, man, I love you, I care for you, but my desire, my hope, my focus in life is nothing with your focus or your desire in life. If you ever want to talk about the Lord, man, I'm here, but we've got to cut off this friendship for right here and right now. I know that testimony in many other men and women here. So for some of us, we have to take that step of faith. Man, I'm sorry. I love you, but we're, we have two different choices, two different avenues we're trying to go down. Man, have those conversations, and the Lord will surround you with that group of family, that group of friends, right? Mention at the 9 a.m., maybe you have to have a difficult conversation with your family. You're not going to be the most liked person at Thanksgiving, right? But hey, make those stands for the Lord. There are people all around there all around within the family of God that are willing to love you, mature with you, and be close friends with you. So again, may we be standing in the truth, may we be walking in love, and may we be laboring. Man, in this love, it's worth it. May we be laboring in the love of Christ. Let's pray. The worship team, I know they're working their way here. So let's pray. Pastors, if you could come up as well.